morning again, St. Paul's. Uh, if you were here on Wednesday night, you heard me talk a little bit about uh, how we ended up here at the mill. Uh, but th for those who weren't here, I feel like it's valuable to reiterate a couple things about the story. So if you were here, bear with me. Um, but like Keith said, it was about four months ago when our landlord came into our office and he told us that we were going to need to find a new place to meet. And uh, the timing of it was interesting. You might remember that we had just spent several months deliberating over whether or not to switch from an afternoon service time to a morning service time. And we finally decided that we really believed that God was leading us to make this switch. It wasn't an easy decision, but we thought this is, this is the, the best decision to make at the, at, at the time. We made the decision, and that first Sunday uh, we had a morning service. The chapel was full for the first time since I've been here, so that was really encouraging. And we had about two days where we were really excited about that, and then the landlord came in and told us that we were going to have to leave. And so it was, just felt like, you know, one step forward, five steps back. And like Keith says, he did fall on the floor, literally. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it was something that was under his control, um, but he did fall on the floor, and uh, that was after the landlord left. He didn't do it when the landlord was there. Um, but the search had to begin, and honestly, our prospects didn't r look real good in the start because it, it looked like we were looking for something that didn't exist. Um, I made a quick list of some of the things that we really wanted. You know, we wanted to be close to campus. Because this church, from the moment that it started, it, it had a focus on the university. And we still want to continue to have a focus on the university. We want this to be a place where college uh, kids can come and meet Jesus. Uh, we wanted it to be comparable in size, obviously. We don't want to have to lose anybody or um, have more services because we can't fit everybody. Uh, we wanted it to be in our price, price range, obviously. And we came to realize that our landlord had been giving us a phenomenal deal on the space that we were in. So when we started to look around at other places of comparable size, we realized what an incredible deal we were getting. Uh, and then also, we just spent all this time, you know, deciding to have a morning service. Now, you can find other churches to meet in, but usually the church meets in the morning, and then they'll, ha they'll allow you to meet in the afternoon. So we didn't want to undo this decision that had taken all this time to make. But four months later, right, here we are. Um, we are a little farther away from campus, three miles further, but if you're a UConn student and you want to come to church, either way, you still had to get in the car, even if you were going to come to our old place. So I don't think the three miles is going to be make or break. Uh, check, look around, size-wise. I mean, there's as many chairs set up right now as was in the old location. There's actually a little bit more, and you can see there's quite a bit room to grow. Um, we could probably hold about 200 people here. So we have space to grow. And we also have space downstairs for uh, nursery, kids' space, um, for a, potentially a cafe, um, for office space. And uh, in our price range, yes, it is a little bit higher. <laughs> um, but considering what we're getting here, it is also a phenomenal deal. Our board really believes and is trusting that this is within our price range and will continue to be in our price range. And here we are. It's 1030. We're here in the morning. So, you know, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that our needs have been met. You know, God calls us to trust that he cares about us and that he'll meet our needs when we trust him and follow him. 
and that's what's happened. So I want to say completely authentically and genuinely, praise God. Um, now, ultimately, God is the one who deserves the honor and praise here. But God used some key people to get us to, to this place. And I think it's really important for me to clarify that I don't deserve any of the credit for us being here right now. Because, honestly, when it came to the hard work of talking to real estate people, surveying our options, visiting possible locations, making phone calls, negotiating leases, planning how to move our stuff, actually moving our stuff, and on and on and on, the person who carried the vast majority of that work was our director of operations, Keith. Um, if Keith was not here, I would be probably curled up in the fetal position crying somewhere. So I am just extremely grateful for everything that Keith has done. And we all owe him an enormous debt um, for being here this morning. And then Keith was also assisted by our facility search committee. Uh, on that committee, he was joined by his wife, Tracy, and um, Ashley Oldham, and Lori Bell. And I believe that's everybody. Yes. Okay, so let's give them a hand as well. They did a lot of work. And then finally, our board of directors did a lot of work too. They had to have emergency meetings, talk about how much money do we have, you know, what, what can we actually afford, um, negotiating terms of the lease and that sort of thing. And our board is Dan Gallimore, uh, Joe France, Steve Bell, Jason Mitchell, and our board chair, Patrick Wagstrom. So let's thank them as well. And then finally, I want to give a huge thanks to Steve and Lori Bell, who have been heading up the renovations of the downstairs space, which if, if you've seen it right now, you see that progress is being made. It's not finished yet. It's a huge job. There's a lot of work to be done. But they have been working very quickly, and it has come a long way so far. And they've been really heading that up. There have been people who have been helping them out as well, uh, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> but, and you know, it's, it's, it's sad because they did a ton of work on our last space during the time that I've been here, um, which is less than a year. So, you know, our kitchen burned up and they took care of that. And um, our sanctuary needed a new paint job and they took care of that. And then we had to move. So I really appreciate the, the perseverance to say, you know what, okay, now we're in a new space. I'm gonna paint that too. If we go somewhere else, we'll just paint that as well. So thank you guys. <laughs> So, so much to be thankful for, and um, so many people to be thankful for as well. Uh, as I was reflecting on what to talk about this week, my train of thought went something like this. I thought, as a congregation, over the last four months, we've spent a huge amount of time and energy on looking for a worship space, praying for a worship space, negotiating the terms of a worship space, uh, decorating a worship, worship space, moving stuff into a worship space. And all that time and work and energy has been for a purpose, right? It's been for the purpose of making it possible for us to gather together like this and do this thing we call worship, right? And when you have to put a lot of time and energy into something, it begs the question, is this worth it? You know, 
what, what is the point of these weekly gatherings? And do they really matter? Uh, if you look at trends in America over the last few decades, uh, less and less people seem to think that gathering for weekly worship is important. Uh, I found a very interesting article on churchleaders.com about church attendance. And it says that in America, uh, those who would consider themselves churchgoers, uh, the percentage of Americans who would consider themselves churchgoers, has remained pretty consistent now for 70 years. That, might, that sounds a little surprising, right? For 70 years, it's remained consistent. Uh, and it's about 40% of Americans consider themselves to be churchgoers. But there's been a trend more recently where it turns out that a lot of people who self-report as churchgoers don't actually go very often. Um, and according to more, more recent estimates, uh, researchers have found that of that 40%, about 18% uh, actually goes to church on a regular basis of the American population. And uh, if you make the definition of regular pretty broad, it doesn't get that much higher. So let's say someone comes on average three out of every eight Sundays. So that's not even half of the time, right? Then it only goes up to 25% of the American population. So 40% call themselves churchgoers. 25% go a little less than half the time. So basically what this means is that when you put it all together, more than half of those who consider themselves to be churchgoers go to church less than half the time. That's, that's the state um, of, the, of the church right now. Now, the article on churchleaders.com summed it up in a way that I thought was actually kind of funny and sad at the same time. It says, although about 40% of Americans are regular church attendees, in quotes, it doesn't necessarily mean 40% are in church on any given Sunday. The most regular church attendee gets sick or sleeps in. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's the average. If you're an average church attendee, you're probably sick, sick or sleeping in on Sunday. Um, so if these statistics are to be trusted, then about half of us, and I'm not referring specifically to St. Paul's Church, I'm just saying us in a more general sense, uh, Christian believers, don't think that attending a weekly worship service is that important. Now, most, most of us would probably say we think it's important, um, but actions speak louder than words, right? We, we show what we think is important by what we do. And according to these stats, many professing Christian believers, possibly as many as half, don't really think that being in church on a weekly basis is a high priority. Now, like I said, when you have to invest a lot of time and a lot of energy and prayer into finding a place to have weekly worship services, it forces you to ask this question, does this really matter? Are weekly worship services really important? Is it worth all this effort? And... What I want to do this morning is uh, make a case for why I think the answer is yes. Uh, that probably comes as no surprise that that's the direction I'm going to go. Um, but yes, weekly worship services are important, and this is worth the effort. Now, before I make that case, though, I want to make a couple clarifying statements. Okay? I just want to get these out of, out of the way first. This sermon is not meant to be a sermon that's legalistic, that's just like, go to church, go to church, go to church. Okay? And, and that's one of the reasons I think these clarifiers are very important. First clarifier, going to a weekly worship service doesn't mean for sure that you are a Christian. 
And conversely, not going to a weekly worship service doesn't mean for sure that you are not a Christian. When it's just not that simple, okay? When it comes down to whether or not you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's something much more deeper. It's something that goes much deeper than church attendance. It's something that happens on a heart level, okay? It's important for us to understand that. Um, analogy that I would give, though, because I do want to say church attendance is important. An analogy that I would give is to think of church uh, like being in a family home on Christmas morning, okay? Now, uh, if you're in a family home on Christmas morning, that's like a special time. It's a sacred time in that household. So if you are in that home, there is a very good chance that you are a member of that family, that you belong to that family, right? Very good chance. But there's a chance you might not. Uh, you might be a guest. You might be a friend of the family. It's possible you're not actually in the family. Or you might have just, like, shown up, and they're like, what are you doing here, you know? Um... Same with church. You might be in church on Sunday, but it's possible that whatever needs to happen in your heart for you actually to be part of the family of God has not happened. And then conversely, it's possible for you not to be in your family's home on Christmas morning and still be part of the family. Um, for some reason, you might not be able to be there. You might be in the service. You might be on the other side of the world, right? Um, or you might just not feel comfortable that particular Christmas being there. But that doesn't mean necessarily that you are not part of the family. Okay, same with church. Second clarifier, weekly worship services are not the same thing as church. Now, unfortunately, we're all a little inconsistent with our language here. Language is limited, so sometimes I'm going to be using it not quite the right way. But the truth is that church is not a place. Church is not somewhere that you go. Okay, Church is people. We, collectively, are the church. And where we go, the church goes. Um, the church worldwide are all the people who have said yes to the Holy, the Holy Spirit's invitation to have a relationship with God. That's what the church is. Um, so church is something that we are. Let's put it that way. And because church is something that we are, not something that we go to, we should embody church throughout the week. Right? Not just a, a couple of hours on a Sunday. But, with that said, I still want to say, weekly worship services are an important part of embodying this identity that we have as being the church. And I'm going to be making the case for why I believe that is this morning. Okay, so now that we've got those clarifications out of the way, let's talk about why weekly worship services matter, why they're important. The scripture passage that I'd like us to use as a launching point is Romans 12, 1 through 8. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, get those out right now. Uh, Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Okay, so inspired by this text, I'm going to present four reasons why weekly worship services are important. Four reasons why all this work that we've done to try and secure this space matters, why it's important. So here's the first reason, if you're taking notes. Number one. First reason is because scripture assumes, it assumes that we're going to be worshiping in community on a regular basis. You know, notice when Paul wrote those words that we just read, he's not writing to an individual, right? He's writing to a community. He says, I urge you, brothers, plural. Now, just as a side note, I really think that should be translated, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Uh, because even though the, the word there is masculine, he's talking to the whole church. He's not just talking to, to the men. It sounds weird to say this, but the masculine term is a gender-inclusive term in the Greek. Uh, he's talking to everybody here. So, but that's a side note. Um, what's happening here is he is talking to a collective. He's not just talking to an individual. And I think it's important for us to recognize because we have a tendency to read our Bibles as if all the pronouns are referring to us as individuals, right? We see that pronoun, you, 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 and we think, oh, me, me, me. And that's not entirely false, but those yous in the original language are plural. Now, in English, we don't have a singular and plural version of you to differentiate between the two, but in the Greek, there is a difference. And these yous are plural. Yes, we do, have, we do have a way to differentiate if we're from the South, right? Y'all. And actually, it would probably be good for us to replace most of the yous in Paul's letters with y'all. Uh, <laughs> because those yous are plural in the Greek, and we would have a better sense of the tone of the letter. Y'all, that, that word, it reminds us that the instructions were written to worshiping communities. They're not just written to Lone Ranger Christians who are having their personal me and Jesus quiet times. Uh, they're written to people who had a sense of community because they were gathering for worship regularly. And that's actually true of almost all of the New Testament letters that we read. Um, they're written to communities, communities worshiping regularly. And actually, the letters in the New Testament that aren't written to communities are written to leaders about how to lead worshiping communities. Like when Paul writes to Timothy, he's saying, okay, you've got this, this group of people that's worshiping together that you're overseeing. Here's how you should lead them. So if a huge part of the New Testament is all instructions on how worshiping communities should function together and how leaders should lead worshiping community, communities, then either the Bible is largely irrelevant for us today or worshiping in community on a regular basis is supposed to be a big part of our faith. 
and of our walk with Jesus. Uh, but even in New Testament times, there were people who neglected meeting. And when that happened, they were encouraged to come back. Uh, I read this as our invocation, uh, Hebrews 10, uh, but the part of it that is especially relevant is, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So meeting together matters. It is taken for granted that that's what we're going to be doing. Okay, second reason meeting together for weekly worship is important is because we need concrete ways to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. We need concrete ways to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. Remember, Paul wrote, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. See, when we are the church, when we are followers of Christ, uh, we are called to say, my life is not my own. Uh, I am giving it to God. I want to seek his will, not my own. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. Now, I'm sure that most of us would say, oh yeah, it's good to be a living sacrifice. I want to be a living sacrifice. But it's another thing to actually live that out. And in order to live as a living sacrifice, we all need practical, concrete ways to do that. Um, you know what I mean by concrete, right? Not actually literally talking about like concrete stuff that makes buildings. I'm, I, when, I, when I say concrete, I mean something that you can see and experience. Uh, we can talk abstractly about being committed to Jesus, but we need concrete expressions of that commitment in order for it to come alive. And one concrete and practical and really biblical way that we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God is, is by being committed to weekly worship. And when we take just a couple hours out of our week to gather together for worship, it's, it's this concrete, practical way of saying, I am a living sacrifice. You know, because I'm choosing to sacrifice, I don't know, two hours of sleep, maybe, uh, two hours of time off, two, two hours to get something done that I feel like I need to get done, whatever it might be, because I want to express my commitment and love for God and his people. And we need things like that. I don't mean to be legalistic about it. I'm just saying we need things like that in our lives. Now, with that said, it's so important to recognize something, which is that Paul says we're supposed to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, but he says we're supposed to do it in view of God's mercy. Right? In view of God's mercy. That is so, so important. We don't come to weekly worship in order to earn God's mercy. Okay? We don't come because if we don't come, God has no mercy for us. Or because he's not going to be happy with us. Uh, the reason that we, we come is because he already has mercy for us. There's a big difference there. And we need to, it, it, it's, it's a shift that has to take place in our minds and hearts to see that that's really the way it is. Okay, but God wants us here because we recognize his mercy, the mercy that he already has for us. So we need these concrete expressions of our faith, not because we need to earn God's mercy, right, but because we need these concrete expressions in order to be fully alive in order to be living sacrifices in the world. We need them. And weekly worship is one way of doing that. Okay. Number three reason why weekly worship services are important 
is because we need to have our minds renewed. We need to have our minds renewed. This is a big one for me. Uh, Paul wrote, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And one of the things that weekly worship does, if it's in a community where the Holy Spirit is actually at work, is that it helps us not to be brainwashed by the world. Um, we are, by nature, creatures who become brainwashed. The question is, what's going to brainwash you? I mean, that sounds a negative way of putting it, but you are always being influenced by what's around you. Okay? And we have to make certain choices about what we're going to allow to come into our minds and influence our thinking. And what Paul says is that there's certain patterns in the world, and unless our minds are renewed, we tend to just conform to those patterns. Because they're all around us. They're the water that we swim in. They're the air that we breathe. Uh, they're taught to us through the media, uh, through politics, through our workplaces, through advertising, through a lot of films and TV. And here are some of the things that they say. This is, of course, by no means an exhaustive list. But as I was reflecting on it, I thought, here's a lot of the patterns of the world that I hear. These are the patterns of the world that I feel if I walk through the mall. Your worth is based on your physical appearance. You need lots of money to be successful and happy. Winning is more important than being good. You need to buy lots more stuff. You need to get even. You're a loser if you're not sexually active. You only matter if you're useful. Serve yourself, not God. Now, I'm not trying to say that every message that you hear outside of church is evil. There's truth everywhere. There's beautiful things everywhere. Um, but I do think these patterns in the world are very prevalent out there. And they are, to some extent, the water that we swim in. And if we are not uh, regularly renewing our minds, we, are, we end up succumbing to these patterns. It doesn't have to be some really explicit thing where we start saying that these things are true, but we, they seep into us and they affect our behavior and we start acting like they're true, even if on a cognitive level we say they're not. And what church is meant to be, what well, what worship gatherings should be, um, is like a military outpost in the battle for your mind. Okay? Because there is a battle going on out there, and you need a regular place where you can get a respite from it, a place where you can come and you can hear something other than the patterns of this world and have your mind renewed. Okay. And then the last one, why weekly worship services are important, number four, is because we are stronger together than we are apart. We are stronger together than we are apart. The passage that we read spends a lot of time talking about how God sets up the community so that different people have different gifts. Okay? And what that means is that we are not complete without each other. Uh, if we try to worship God in isolation, we miss out. Because there are gifts and abilities and insights 
that you have that I don't have, and vice versa. So you miss out if I'm not around, and I miss out if you're not around. And we're stronger together for that reason. Now, it's so important for us to remember this, I think, especially in this day and age, because now more than ever, there is a temptation to think that we can get all the benefits of weekly worship just on our own. Because we live in a time where you can just go online, you can download some worship music that's high quality, kind of put some headphones on and just listen to that, maybe sing along. You can download messages by the best preachers in the world, and you can listen to those. Um, and so you can get a lot of church without getting out of bed on Sunday morning. You can get a lot of church without going somewhere. But even if we can get great music and great preaching, we miss out on something so significant when we don't have weekly worship. Because we miss out on the opportunity to minister to each other. Which, as we uh, read in this passage, it's all about that. Um, if you go to church by downloading stuff and putting on some headphones, who do you express your heart to? You know, who puts a hand on your shoulder and prays for you when you need that? Who sends you food when you're too sick or grief-stricken to make it yourself? You know, who pulls you aside and maybe gives you a prophetic word? Sometimes that happens when you're in church. Who laughs at your jokes? And who do you do those things for yourself? You don't. So you have to make it a point to put yourself in community in order for any of that to happen. You know, and I think one of the ways that we're stronger together than we are apart is when it comes to helping people encounter Jesus for the first time. Uh, I've noticed that many people who do not know Jesus will have a powerful experience of him if they just manage to take that step of visiting a worship service. When I was in campus ministry, I would go to the Freethinkers Atheist group on campus, and we would discuss all kinds of things. And people there knew I was a Christian. And if I got to know somebody, eventually I would try to invite them to a meeting when I was speaking or something like that. And part of me would be thinking, they're going to not want to be here at all, right? It's just going to be weird for them. This is not their turf, so they're going to be uncomfortable. But there were multiple times where people would come, and not only would they come, but they would come back. They would keep coming. And you could tell that there was something about being there for them that was fascinating to them, that drew them, that was interesting. Because there's something that you get when you step into a community where Jesus is being honored as king that you don't get just by encountering that in an individual. There's something powerful about it. And, you know, I think most of us recognize evangelism is important. You know, we're supposed to go into all the world and make disciples. But then when it comes to this question of how do we do it, we're like, gee, I don't, I don't really know how to do it. I don't know how to do it in a way that doesn't seem offensive or awkward. Um, and here's what I would say. Here's super simple evangelism strategy. Um, and I say this while acknowledging we should try lots of things. We should be creative. We should go out there and see what we can do to serve the world and bring people to Jesus that way. But really, when it comes down to what I think the most effective, simple strategy is for introducing people to Jesus, it's this, three parts, really simple. Be a regular part of a worshiping community, number one. Two, 
be friends with some people who are not in that community. Three, invite those people into the worship community. That's it. I mean, and sure, people might come into that community and they might be like, I don't really understand what's going on here. It's a little weird for me. But if they're interested, that's okay. They'll ask more questions, you know? And, and then it gives an opportunity to open up discussion. And, but what you're doing when you just extend that invitation is you're, you're giving an opportunity to encounter Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ likes to encounter people um, by, when he's embodied in the, in the community, in a group of people. So uh, you don't have to be pushy. You don't have to be apologetic. Uh, you just need to extend that opportunity for people to experience a community where Jesus is Lord. Okay, so that is by no means an exhaustive list of all the reasons why weekly worship services are important, but hopefully if you're on the fence about it, trying to figure out whether you really value it, that's a start to get you thinking. And before we close, I just want to address two objections that we might have to making weekly worship a, a priority. Um, the first one is the one that says, well, I tried weekly worship services, and it just didn't really do anything for me. I went to church for a while, but I didn't feel like I got a lot out of it. Okay, there's a couple things that I would like to say to that, and, um, but for now, because we're on limited time, here's just the main thing I would say. Be patient. Be patient. Participate, listen, and be patient. Chances are you are not going to have your mind blown every time you come to weekly worship. Um, some mornings you might even fall asleep. Hopefully not, but sometimes it happens. But if you come regularly wanting to hear from God and willing to listen, I believe that eventually the Holy Spirit will do something in you. Uh, there's a quote from a theologian named Richard Beck. Uh, that I heard recently that I really liked. And he calls it his roadkill theology of church. Uh, he says, God doesn't show up every Sunday, but like a chicken running back and forth across a busy highway, if you keep showing up, the Holy Spirit will hit you like a truck. <laughs> and I really think that there's truth in that. I do. Um, I disagree that God doesn't show up every Sunday. I think God is present every Sunday, but he's not always in a, in a present in a way that meets you in a powerful way. Or maybe you're not fully present yet in a way where you meet him in a powerful way. But I think what Beck means is that, uh, you know, if you come long enough, eventually the spirit is going to speak to you in a, in a way that's powerful and transformative. And, uh, th but there has to be a patience. There has to be a willingness to just kind of do the discipline and be there and show up. Some weeks maybe nothing really happens to you, but maybe you end up giving something to somebody else. <clears throat> but without that consistency, we, we, we miss out. You know, sometimes I think he hits us like a truck in very unexpected ways. Like, I mean, I've gone to church all my life, and uh, there have been times where God hit me like a truck, and I wasn't even paying attention to the sermon. Of course, those are times where I'm not preaching, but... Uh, 
there, there have been times where I've just sort of been sitting there. Just the act of getting up on a Sunday, getting dressed, getting to the church, and sitting there, I found God giving me ideas or create, creative things happening inside of me um, that I don't think would have happened if I had just been at home. I can't really explain it, but that happens to me sometimes. Sometimes I know people zone out in a sermon, but God is working on them even when they're zoning out because that happens to me. <clears throat> uh, the second and last objection that I would respond to is, I tried weekly worship services and I got hurt. The people who were supposed to love me and care for me let me down. The community that was supposed to help me used me. Uh, maybe I you know, felt really betrayed by the community. Now, chances are, if this is you, you're probably not here right now. <laughs> so, but maybe you're listening on a podcast later. Uh, and if that's you, here's what I would say. I would say, first, I'm really sorry that the church let you down. I think at some point the church lets all of us down if we're, if we're around long enough. Uh, but I would encourage you not to give up. Um, just as God doesn't give up on any one of us. You know, when we get close to people, there's always risk involved. That just comes with the territory. Uh, but the best things in life always require risk. You know, marriage, of course, is a great example. Uh, when you give yourself to another person in marriage, you create an opportunity for incredible joy. Uh, but you also create a possibility for betrayal and pain, great pain. But most of us recognize that, you know, if we've taken the time to get to know a person, uh, that the joy is worth the risk. The potential joy is worth the risk. And the same is true with the church. Right? We open ourselves up to pain and disappointment when we commit to being a part of a worshiping community. That just comes with the territory. That's the way life is. But we also open, open ourselves up to a deep, a deep joy. And that joy, I believe, is worth the risk. So, what we do here matters. So let's commit to continue doing it, uh, to getting better at doing it, and to inviting more people to be a part of it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, Lord, I, I just thank you for the reminder that there is so much value in worshiping together as a community. Uh, God, I pray for... Um, any within our community who have been out of fellowship for a long time, uh, I pray that they would just have a desire uh, to be together uh, with other people filled with the Holy Spirit, have a desire to be a part of, of a movement of Christ followers who are, who are seeking uh, to uh, be the resistance against those patterns of the world and to uh, bring uh, light and love of Christ uh, to the world around them, God. I pray that they would just, they would hunger to be a part of your community, your body. Um, I pray that uh, you would help all of us, Lord, uh, to find the ways that we can uh, minister uh, to others in this community. Uh, Lord, I just pray that we'd be a church that flourishes in the truest sense of the word, Lord. I pray that we would see uh, more people becoming more like Jesus. And we give you thanks for providing for us, taking us this far. In Jesus' name, amen.